Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. The Low Post Podcast brings you some of the best insights into the world of the NBA, hosted by ESPN NBA insider Zach Lowe. For all your finals insight, Lowe will be there with what you need to know. And during the NBA Finals games in Boston, Zach and Brian Winhurst will be doing special post-game podcasts. Listen to The Low Post wherever you find your podcasts. Also, ESPN's Emmy Award-winning 30 for 30 documentary film series presents the greatest mixtape ever, the story of how a series of streetball videos set to music in the 90s transformed basketball's place in the culture, defined the lives of the players who starred in them, and changed the game itself forever. Stream now on ESPN+. And listen to the companion 30 for 30 podcast, A Streetball Mixtape, exploring the essence of streetball through a collection of legendary stories. Listen now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? What's up, man? Yeah, man. We're going to try to talk a little bit about the NBA. It's tricky. We're recording on Thursday. There's a game tonight. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know how much of that we can do. We don't know what happened. The people who are listening already know, but I need the Celtics to win, man. Because last time I was on here, I had my chest out. I was making my big basketball proclamation that the series was over and the Celtics were going to win. And they ain't won a game since I said that. Yeah, yeah. It felt overish. <laughs> I, 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 I definitely got overish vibes um, off of it. We're going to talk a bit about that. Talk about this uh, hilarity that's going on in golf. But I wanted to start. I don't know how much a lot of you guys got to see of Dream On. It was the 30 for 30 that aired on Wednesday night, three hours about the 1996 uh, women's Olympic basketball team, the United States. And yo, that A was fascinating. B, man. A lot of sadness, a lot, a lot of sad stories, right? Like if I have a criticism of the film, and I know that you saw this part, Dominique, they wanted to go medal, and we just dipped our toe in that happiness for like 15 seconds. And then Venus Lacey had a terrible car accident. Yeah. I mean, I, so I watched it because you texted me and you were saying this is good. So I turned it on when you told me and I caught like the last half of it. And the, la- the part I saw was outstanding. But I was thinking that I was not excited about this 30 for 30 because in my memory of it, women's basketball in general, we dominate. And I didn't know what the story was going to be. I was like, all right, we and if I remember and I saw last night, yeah, in the gold medal game, it was not a contest. You can't make no drama out of that which is why they went to the off the court stuff. And boy, was that hard, man. Yeah, well, you know, the thing was, and they had just, so the story I read, I think Richard Dice wrote something in The Athletic about it. And he said, so when the pandemic hit and ESPN was trying to figure out stuff to put on television because there weren't sports, it led people to go into the archives and to see what kind of video footage they had. And they had all this footage of the 96 Olympic team, right? Now, the drama, and I hadn't thought about this either, was that in 92, they got a bronze medal. And don't nobody uh, have less respect for a bronze medal than USA basketball. (laughs) When they got a bronze medal in 88 with the college players, they went and got Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Charles Barkley, and eight more of them. 
right? They're like, this will never happen again. And I was thinking the same thing you were because the earlier portions of it before you got to it were really just about how hard they were grinding to make sure that they won a gold medal. And you were thinking like me, I'd have had a hard time pretending like we had to do all this to win. But they showed some stops along the way that indicated why it is that they would have to do that. One thing that was kind of ironic about it is they built this team, I felt like, along the lines of some of the mistakes that the men's team has made over the years, where it's kind of like an all-star team and you don't always think about all the things you need. And so what they didn't have was a power center, right? Like Venus Lacey wound up filling that role, but that was their thing. They didn't have a power center which seemed like something you could have easily corrected. And so there was this six foot eight woman for China. Man, she was a low dog. Giving them work. She had moves too. Like you ain't got no problems with it. But no, they were going in there and Tara Vanderveer is the coach who seemed like the single most unlikable human being that I've (laughs) ever seen. What I found interesting about the way that Vanderveer, and it was just all just on you, on you, on you, on you, on you all the time and saying wild stuff about people in the media and just on the, it doesn't matter if you like me, I'm just here to get the job done. And I've always said that the environment around women's sports is far healthier than the environment around men's sports, like especially the arena experience. Like the crowds are so much more encouraging, less likely to boo you know, all of those things. It is much healthier, but the power dynamics of coach and players still remain. And so like, I don't know if you saw that wild Cynthia Cooper story a couple months ago about all the stuff that she had been doing with her players at various stops. I'm like, oh, yeah. wow, that is bananas. The power dynamics, they remain. It's the high school power dynamics or it's the college power dynamics. It's not the pro basketball power dynamics. No, I no. guarantee you Chuck Daly wasn't <laughs> acting like that with the dream team. Oh, so, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I just I, I saw that. And and I was thinking coming into it, obviously, I was not excited about the gold medal game with Australia because like it wasn't going to be intense. But the funny thing is they're different challenges. It's not that it's easier or harder. But there's a whole different set of challenges when you're coming in with a team full of superstars, but in a sport where they aren't getting treated like superstars everywhere. And then you throw Tara Vanderveer on top of it. And then there's race and class implications, sexuality thrown into that, which is a whole nother dynamic that complicates things on top of like the Ruthie Bolton story. Like, I appreciate the text. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, so one, Ruthie Bolton, what you think her favorite Mary J. Blige song is? I bet she can't decide. <laughs> like, <laughs> everything, and when I was looking at her, I was just like, all I really want is to be happy. Like, her whole steez, the life story that she told, like, all of it. Like, she been to every Mary J. Blige show. She done uh, seen Mary J. Blige in five different countries. And I didn't need to hear her say a word. I didn't need to hear nothing about her story. When I saw her sit down with her hair the way it was and the band across it, that's a Mary J fan from a mile away. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it it was all there. Now, I think the superstar element that you discussed, what I found very interesting about that, and I think for me, as I guess I'm 15 when this team comes together, they had a whole year-long tour. Again, check it out. It's really, really good. It's three hours, but I really think it's worth your time. Everything that's going on with them, trying to get back to the mountaintop and everything else. But to me, those players were superstars, right? Like the ones at least that I was aware of, because I'm not going to pretend like I knew that whole roster up and down, right? But like knew who Lisa Leslie was, knew who Dawn Staley was, knew who Jennifer Azey was, knew Rebecca Lobo, Ruthie Bolton. Like we can go up and down 
Teresa Edwards, who, look, it is 10 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday. I feel like Teresa Edwards, who played on the 1984 Olympic team and the 2000 Olympic team, is somewhere crossing somebody over as we speak. As we speak. When I saw that, that's mind-blowing. That is yeah. incredible longevity. But yeah, you're right. Those superstars were there. Lisa Leslie. No, no, but I'm saying, no, I'm saying this, okay. though. I'm thinking of them as superstars because I know who they are, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that they were superstars within this world but weren't like superstars at all was kind of interesting for me to watch because I was so engrossed in sports at that time in my life. Like, I, Lisa Leslie scored 100 points in a high school game. You know what I mean? Like, I knew, I knew who she was. I felt like I knew who these people were. And it was just interesting. I mean, they got paid $50,000 for the whole year. That part you did not see. They made 50 Gs for that whole year. And for those of you who don't understand what I mean, what they had to do for 50 Gs, they was flying all around the world in coach. And when I say all around the world, my people, they played a game in Siberia. <laughs> That's what you say when you try to be funny, but it was real. It was real. And it wasn't like they played a game in Siberia in front of 70,000 people. They played a game in Siberia and what looked like a high school gym. Somebody going to explain to me why we doing this. Nah, it's the difference between being like a superstar as far as fame is concerned and as far as accommodations and treatment is concerned. Like, I'm fine if don't nobody know me as long as I can fly first class and uh, play in real gyms where, yeah. where I feel like they were talking about how they were practicing outside in Canada, outside with gloves on because Tara was like, you get a day off. By a day, she meant 24 hours. Yes. So you don't actually get a day off. We practice today at three o'clock. We practice tomorrow at four o'clock. The time in between was your day off. Maniac. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that was all so wild to me. And I think that part of what I hadn't really considered, Dawn Staley had mentioned it. She was like, when they stopped playing college teams and started playing professional teams, she's like, we basically had two people on the roster who had played professional basketball at that point because there wasn't really no bread in it for them right so these women that i'm thinking of as being these great basketball players were like taking time off basically you know like like in the in between they was just kind of like oh wow so we're going to get the band together oh okay and see and that's the drama in context that i wouldn't have had like why i was thinking like you like what's the drama we run this right nah there's like actually there's a lot more that went to it but i want to know what you think about this part of the film, which is, I don't, I don't know if you saw this. It was the discussion about basically trying to make the women seem as straight as possible. And that the NBA's marketing strategy was market them like you market women and everything else, basically. Like put them in pretty dresses, right? And there's this, they try to get Don Staley into something and Don Staley is not hearing it, dog. Okay. Don Staley is not trying to get in your fly hot gear or whatever it is. And the woman that works in the store is like, oh, we're going to get them hot. And the idea was that if people saw these women in these pretty dresses and they looked pretty and nice, that that would make you want to watch them play basketball. And am I the only person that thinks that that is the dumbest logic in the world? We got a great deal of room that we got to make up with in treatment and equity and everything else. But that seems to be the big thing. In 1996, we was just like, yo, let's lie to ourselves about things. There was something that jumped out to me that Lisa Leslie said at the end of it. She was talking about being black and representing the country. And she was talking about the pressure she felt to represent her race. And that was heartbreaking to me because, like, I don't know. I'd love to talk to her today and see if she still feels the same way. 
But the idea that you are a black person and you believe that you can behave so well that they're going to change the way they think about you and like to carry around that pressure. It's an illusion to carry around that illusion. The Jackie Robinson illusion that's like we got to pick the right one because if we pick the right one and he acts the right way and says the right things i will be a credit to my race and that shit was heartbreaking watching lisa leslie say that i would have cut that out the movie yeah i would have to i'd have cut that i heard that and i was like i think the director Kristen lapis heard that in a way that you and i maybe she heard the heartbreak part but i heard that and i was like oh no you either cut that out the movie or you make that 45 minutes of the movie or 30 yes. minutes of the movie. And she just made it a throwaway as if I think a lot of society took that part a different way or took it how it was meant. And I took it through the lens of I hate that. Oh, no, I'm with you, too, because I'm like, hey, go win another bronze medal and see how America treats you. Win a gold medal. They, no, they no, but I was saying, go, no I'm saying go get the bronze, yeah. though. Right. We can't handle a bronze in basketball. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I want to switch gears just a little bit because we got something else I want to talk about while we were here, which is the Live Golf Tour. Have you been keeping up on this? Yeah. It's incredibly interesting to me just from a union representation part and also like the obvious moral <laughs> issues. I just think the moral part has been interesting because a lot of these guys are just smart enough to take the money and shut up, mm -hmm. right? You take the money and shut up, you're going to wind up being okay. But you get Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson and I think it was a uh, South African dude, Charles Swartzel, I think it was him, just basically on the, hey man, all money dirty. That is basically do the that. point that they're making from top to bottom is all money dirty and this money is too much for me to pass up on. This is my question for you, Dominique. Do you want to be in debt to the Saudis, to the House of Saud? Because I don't. I don't want them to know who I am. No, I, I barely want to talk about it. Yeah, like if I got an invitation to do something, I'd be upset that they invited me because like I don't want to be on their radar. Like they are on some some other stuff. But yeah, 
all money is dirty may be true, but that's the argument you want to make. And I think that golf is the worst place for this to happen because it's full of a lot of like rich, white, heterosexual men who believe that from experience that they can talk their way out of anything. And that's what I think is the mistake right here, because if I were to get into something like this, I'm black enough to know, lay low <laughs> and feel like, no, nah, I just got, I just got to tell them what I was thinking. I just tell them <laughs> what I was thinking and they going to get it. Nah, they ain't always going to get it. Like my blackness would, uh, would teach me right off the bat. And I'm sure a lot of other people, their life experience would let them know off the bat, oh, this is how we going to handle this. We're going to shut the hell up. And then we're going to play dumb or like Phil learned the second time around. Know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make myself the victim. Ah, I'm suffering from all this debt is on me and I don't have no other choice. <laughs> like you got to give somebody something to grab onto. Trying to stick your chest out and be like, oh, no, nah, let me explain to you. That ain't how it's going to work. He thought that copping to how bad people think they are and the bad things that they do. Right. He thought that copping to that would make it OK. And instead, no, it made it worse. Look, man. Colin Kaepernick explained very clearly why he wasn't standing for the national anthem. He became a pariah. Marshawn Lynch with all them dreadlocks and drinking Hennessy on television and everything else. Don't be standing for the anthem. Didn't say a word about it. Do commercials for Subway, right? <laughs> yep. If you lay low on that, you would have wound up being okay. But like, so now we got the U.S. Open and it's interesting because the PGA Tour does not do the U.S. Open. So PGA Tour can keep these cats out of these other events, but the U.S. Open, the USGA does that. And so these dudes can show up. And so it's almost like Jets and Sharks in a sense where they got like two clicks that's out here. But I ain't gonna lie, man. That dude, the South African cat that was basically like, hey, man, all these checks cash the same. Everybody got dirty money. I mean, he is a white man from South Africa, right? Like, yeah. I don't know what yeah. his views are on apartheid, but I'm pretty sure the majority down there was rocking with it. Otherwise, how could it continue to exist, right? I mean, it doesn't anymore, but you know what I mean, right? I'm not surprised to see him be like, hey, man, atrocities in the name of money. Ain't like, we ain't never done that before, baby. Like, I could see how you get yourself to that place, and it is a lot of money. All I'm saying is, if you got $15 million and now you got $60 million, I don't know how much different your life is. I just don't. Yeah. yeah. That's the equation that I think about a lot, or I've, I've used to make a lot of decisions. Like, I, I told you this before. I, I went to business school after I stopped playing football with the same mindset that I had in football. It's like, I'm going to go dominate. I'm going to go win. I'm going to go to best business school I can go to and find out how I can make $100 million. And then oddly, we took those soft classes about feelings and stuff. And, and that bullshit worked on me. <laughs> and then I came out like, I'm going to make decisions that can like optimize my life financially. But I'm going to make like today, I'm going on a fishing trip, a long bike ride and a fishing trip with my son. If I followed that other stuff, I could not do that. <laughs> you know, like, and those are the decisions that I had to make. I can make those decisions because I was fortunate enough the first time around in my first career. So I'm with you. I think um, Rory McElroy made a similar comment. It's like my house is already big and I don't know what to do with some of the rooms I got in there now. And yeah, like chasing more money is just you're trying to blow the team out. You don't have to blow the team out. You already <laughs> won. If you got a million dollars and you live in like a Western wealthy country and you a white heterosexual man. Like, goodness gracious, what more do you need? I, and I mean, the difference between 15 and 60, it's a tangible difference, I think. Because like 15 million, 
is not private jet everywhere you go money. Yeah. 60 million is, but it does not increase your happiness. Okay, that's about to say, you're right. That is a tangible difference. And that was the thing I saw when I brought this up in some conversations. The private jet was the thing that came up. And I feel you, the private jet, probably pretty cool. But man, first class ain't that bad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like I, I would have a hard time, even if I had all that money, justifying the difference in the price of first class versus the price of the private jet, especially since them dudes ain't really famous. It ain't like you, Michael Jordan, getting mobbed at the airport and you couldn't imagine going through TSA. We're not talking about that. You're not 6'10". You know what I'm saying? Trust me. If you got enough money, <laughs> you can get your way around all of that stuff too. But it's the price too. So like if I got to work a lot harder for five years to go from 15 to 60, then that's an okay price. If the price that I'm paying is... I have to take a private jet because I don't want to get attacked in the airport. Like that's a different price. The price that they're paying is their reputation, which to me, that ain't worth $35 million. Well, I also want to know, like, and I saw John Rahm talking about this on Wednesday and it was a part that I hadn't thought about the competitor aspect of this, right? Because it's not a full on best of the best field they have over there. And the level that I hadn't thought about is they're doing three round events that don't have a cut. Like, this is not golf in a tournament sense as these guys are used to or as they are accustomed to. And how fulfilling is it actually going to be for the competitor in them? Like, I get it. The money is the money. And if you want the money, that's fine. But it will be interesting to see if some of those dudes keep doing that. And that it's kind of like, yeah, it don't feel the same. But the problem is, I don't really know how you go tell Saudi Arabia. I'm out. Yeah, that's that's tough. You go ahead and breach that contract if you if you want to. <laughs> I don't know what you're gonna do. I mean, I feel like the other side of this is hard for me because it's like viewed as PGA versus the Saudi government. And if you have to pick sides, then it's obvious the side you pick. But it doesn't have to be that. I think obviously I would not encourage them to go do this. I, I think that if the public backlash falls on them, that's fine. But I still am opposed to the PGA Tour trying to be the moral arbiter in this because that's not what they're doing. And that letter they sent out was disrespectful. They thought that the players are going to buy that foolishness where they try to call all these other guys greedy and they talk about loyalty. You guys are using your monopoly power to control this market and they will be just as opposed to these players going to play in some other tournament or some other uh yeah tournament that was put on by a government that they that they respected they'd be just as opposed as they are to this one so they're using this as a good opportunity but i just don't like the idea that they're like all right now you're banned because you've played elsewhere when actually or you're banned because you're aligned with the saudi arabian government not because you're banned because you're affecting our business model which is truly what they care about yeah because i mean the thing is Saudis just got more money to blow on this than yeah. the PGA because the Saudis aren't really in this for profit, right? Like the profit yeah, for them is in image and reputation. It's this concept going around called sports washing. I did some stuff for Freakonomics about this. You can check out their podcast. Now, I contend that quote unquote sports washing is a terrible waste of money. They just had the Olympics in Beijing a couple months ago. Did it change the way you looked at China? I don't think it did. Did the 2008 Olympics change the way you looked at China? I don't think it did. Like maybe it made it better for like foreign investment. So the people who came for the Olympics saw the places differently than they had before and they would then be comfortable. 
But the truth is, you put money in China because it's a billion of them. If that's mm. the reason why you're doing that, that's why you're playing this. And so for Saudi Arabia, I look at the idea of them putting all this money in this. It ain't making them look no better. It's making them look really, really rich. Saudi bought some uh, soccer team over there in the UK. Newcastle, right? Ain't nobody looking at them differently because of this. I just don't like, did anybody look at the Soviet Union differently when they were dominating as sports? I just think that's a poor, ineffective strategy. And maybe it has like ancillary effects that I'm not able to see. Like I'm not in the rooms with rich enough people to really see what they get out Mm. of it, but I don't see it, right? And so these players are going over there and doing this and you're right, they torching their reputations. Did you see that Jack Nicholas's company is suing him? Like the Nicholas company or whatever it's called is suing him? Because he went and sat with the Saudis and heard them out. And so they use that to say that Jack Nicholas is doing damage to the Jack Nicholas brand. He absolutely is. I would push back on your idea that it's not worth the money. And that I think in some, I mean, you're probably right. But I do think that, I guess the argument is, how would you spend this money in another way to accomplish this goal? If you ain't going to start acting right, you need to give people things to look at and talk about that make you seem better than you are. If everything that's in the American press is about killing gay people, extrajudicial killings of journalists, like if that's all that all that we get, I'm harboring 9-11 conspirators. Like if that's all the stuff that we get, then they need to combat that news by behaving better or behaving in a way that we appreciate or giving us something else shiny to look at. So I think more than anything is, It gives them a distraction, I guess, another storyline that's not in opposition to the one that's out there, but it's just different. You think of Saudi Arabia, you think of Newcastle United and you think of Live Golf and you think of all these other things and not the horrible things that they've done. Yeah, but I mean, I guess I just don't know who the people are that are actually going to do that. You know, and maybe they're out there. I don't feel like I know those people. Right. And I think that that for me. I feel like you could pull something like that off within a local market, right? Like, say you own the nuclear power, like you're Mr. Burns. Right. Yeah, you own you the local nuclear power plant. You buy the baseball team, you win the World Series, and now rather than being the guy who owns the power plant, you are the guy that owns the World Series winning baseball team. Maybe that works. I don't know if you could pull this off on a great big old national level, especially not at this point. You know, like that's the part where I'm like, I don't exactly know if we can pull it off like that. But it's the ultimate all money ain't good money. Except these cats are like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Every dime of it is good. I want to know who the person is that's like going to fall on some hard times. Like you talk about Mickelson and the reputed gambling debt. The likes, the guy that pops up out of nowhere like, hey, man, y'all still looking for people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How soon can y'all get that check over to me? Can you get it to me by next Friday? Because if you can, I can play golf next Friday. You just let me know. But it got to be by next Friday. <laughs> I can't play golf with my legs broke, baby. <laughs> the level of desperation. And your point about them having like unlimited money is, uh, I mean, I'm sure you saw the reports of how much they offered like Tiger Woods and the bigger name guys. And uh, I guess, yeah, you already live in the life. You're already in the top 0.01% of the world. like. Uh, maybe not 0.01, 0.02. You want to get it to 0.01? <laughs> I don't know what's different. I don't get it. It ain't worth it for me. But Tiger Woods certainly ain't going to be the one to do that. He, he, he felt what it felt like to be 
on the wrong end right. of American ire he, and for much lesser transgressions than what Saudis are accused of. He would have had to do the full-on post-divorce heel turn. Although I will say this with men in America, if they had come out and offered him that million dollars and he took it in 2010, 2011, they're like, Tiger, what are you doing? And he's like, she took half. <laughs> he might have been able to like curry some favor with some people. But Tiger Woods is like, yo, that billion dollars is... Uh, he's like, do you know how much forgiveness I have received? Yeah. Nah, dog. Y'all go do that on your own. You have a better chance of getting Derek Jeter to sign up for your little league than that. <laughs> like I broke up all my legs just so y'all could be nice right. to me again. Right. Imagine calling Michael Jordan and being like, "Yo, you want to be down with the Saudi Arabian Basketball Association? Are you out of your mind?" <laughs> it ain't worth it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not that politics and sports is a new thing. Like it's been going around since sports was around. On this topic, there's also like the more domestic stuff, like the gun stuff that um, Joe Burrow. I mean, it was a pretty tepid, benign thing, but Joe Burrow has been outspoken on issues of race and class before. But he came out and just said that he hopes that politicians can get it right, uh, essentially, as far as gun control is concerned. He didn't come out and support a specific bill or, or say that he wanted assault rifle ban, like literally, but he just kind of came out and said, I'm not doing it verbatim. Generally, he's out there. And I, I think that he's come to position himself as someone as a bit of a social leader and willing to like expend his white champion capital on which like that makes me like him. He's willing to expend the capital. Him and I remember Paige, Paige Buckets at UConn after her freshman, outstanding freshman season, she's at the ESPYs and she out there talking that talk and willing to expend that white capital on things that don't impact you. Dude, Joe Burrow won the Heisman Trophy, got on the microphone and spoke on child hunger and poverty. Yeah, like, I won't say they only made one of these, but he's the first one of these that I've seen. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have a quarterback, black or white, because the black dudes especially got to lay low. They hard enough to get a job, right? Outside, obviously, of Colin Kaepernick. But even Kaepernick, was not the level of star that this dude is. And even as I look to be fair, like Mahomes picked up on the Black Lives Matter and, you know, a lot of those cats got on that as the George Floyd stuff was going on. But Burrow, it does seem a bit more focused. Like this is his bag, right? Like he wasn't in a moment on these things. This is what he does. And he figured out what y'all gonna do. Nothing. That's right. And then it's gone from there. <laughs> that's i mean that's the ultimate f you money and f you privilege and f you status the people who have all that stuff they never use it <laughs> or they don't use it for the things that like i would i would imagine that i would use it for but joe burrow seems to be about that life if you're not going to outlaw everything you've got to at least make it harder to get those crazy guns that everybody's using so that's pretty much the crux of what he said yeah but i think the other thing where it becomes interesting on the gun control discussion is what he's saying feels more controversial than I think it is in application. Like, I think polls have demonstrated that the American public would like for there to be some measure of gun control in place. It's just not going to happen. But it's not because the will of the people 
is opposed to it. The people who are opposed to the gun control are probably louder and, by the way, have more guns. But I don't think those people are even close to the majority. But it's so wild what our public discourse is that it really jumps out when somebody says something that is actually like in line with the majority opinion, which is what I think that Joe Burrow is doing. But we're also just so used to quarterbacks going out of their way and basically spending their whole lives saying as little as possible. I mean, it doesn't serve them. Joe Burrow, I mean, maybe the world is changing and maybe this is the modern blueprint. But I guess, honestly, like someone has to set the blueprint. If Joe Burrow is like carries on this Kaepernick and to some degree LeBron legacy of being like outspoken and involved, then I think the expectations will change. But there's no reason for him to do it. It doesn't benefit him in any way. I mean, I guess it benefits him because he lives in this society and his idea of improving it. But I, I heard somebody on a podcast a couple of days ago. I forgot the name of the podcast. Uh, but anyway, the point was there are lots of people who have a relationship with guns that is different than like our East Coast major city experience where like I don't hear about guns unless somebody get killed. But there are people who like their life and their culture. And I'm sure you from being in Houston and in Atlanta, like you know these people and you talk to these people. Nobody in my life. Have I ever known anybody like been really close with anybody that be out here? Like, I mean, I guess I had some football teammates who was hunting, but most people that I'm who go hunting, but most people who I'm really close with, like only time I hear about guns or we talk about guns is because somebody got shot or oh, there's an article about a bunch of people getting shot. So like the idea that we should have these guns to me is like, I don't even think we need guns, but I also didn't grow up in a culture where guns were fun and guns were recreation. Like I'd be pissed if somebody was like, you know what? We don't even need basketballs. You know, that, that's what I did for fun. Well, so if there is a gun, then we need guns. All right. That's the unfortunate trip over the situation. Now, my thing on that is this. I understand having a gun. It's the second gun that confuses me. <laughs> like, I, you know, like if the second gun is like your hunting rifle and you got your pistol. Got you. Okay. That makes sense. Right. But it's the second pistol where I'm just like, so what exactly does this pistol do that your, your original pocket-sized killing machine uh, will not accomplish? I don't remember if I was talking to you about this, but I said this before. Hey, man, the pistol is one of the more enduring inventions of all time. Like, if you go get a gun from 100 years ago and shoot somebody with it, that person is still going to die. They're going to die like they would have died before. There was no need for them to be souping guns up and trying to find a whole new level of gun, at least not for, as a consumer good. There was no need for that. So when I look at people like, yeah, they got a different relationship with guns. That's what they do. But I say it again. I don't know why you need all these guns, especially the brat, 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 the country grammar. I don't know why you need the country grammar. They're like, oh, well, I just like the country grammar. Cool. We're going to have to sacrifice some of this want stop people from lighting up schools it's just a thought it's just a thought now I, i'm with you and i agree with you wholeheartedly but i think that the argument on the other side is like i got a bunch of tennis shoes i only need one pair yes those are tennis shoes. i was going to make that same comparison those don't kill people kill people right their argument would be and i'm doing my best which mm -hmm. i probably shouldn't have i shouldn't do in the first place but i think that their argument would be like i don't use them to kill people like it's a hobby i like it i collect these things but that's the problem i i i i want to do this it's the same reason people want to go get this damn shot right it's i i i i want this i want that why i can't have my fun with guns 
just because people out here shooting kids. Hey, don't you realize how ridiculous that sounds like fundamentally when, when people get to it is that, yeah, but I want to be able to shoot cans in my backyard or go to the range or whatever it is. And that's just, to me, that's just not that big a sacrifice. But hey, that's where we are. And I do, I do give, I absolutely do give Burrow credit while also recognizing how crazy it is that something like that is something for which we do give credit. And not because, it is because he's doing something that shouldn't be noteworthy, but it happens to be noteworthy. There we go. Did I make sense of that? All right. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, that is Dominique Foxworth. Check him out at Get Up. Check him out at Anscape. Check him out on Debatable. And as always, check him out here on Foxworth Friday. I appreciate you, sir. Best podcast, sports podcast in the world, right? That's what we on. I'll do that. I'll do that. I mean, I mean, it's, a, it's, a core, it's according to like GQ. Oh, Esquire. Right? Yeah, Esquire said that we had the number one. Hey, man, you know, I don't, I don't even know who listened to podcasts at Esquire, but get that man raised up. <laughs> i appreciate it happy to be on the team yes sir and ladies and gentlemen thanks so much for joining us here on the right time I want to remind you the right time book club is going on be sure to check that out king of the world by david remnick that is the book that we are reading Corey erdman will join us on our next episode on june 27th check that out also the voicemail 860-516-4119 tell us about that time you was out with the homies and the one homie went a little bit too far got everybody else into a pickle a six zero five one six four one one nine all right remember gabe bassan and adi khan handle everything behind the scenes thank you gentlemen remember follow the right time thanks for watching us on youtube but rate us review us give us five stars you only give us four stars i'm inclined to believe you are a hater we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days take it easy Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.